Welcome back to another edition of Down to the Wire with my analyst, Nolan Thode. You know, Nolan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. You know, the new new quad master has started, so a little bit of uh, optimism in the air. Uh, I got the spare, though, you and I both, so I'm going to be enjoying that. So enjoying my time off, I guess. I think we both are enjoying our time off right now. Uh, with the spare, like you mentioned, it's definitely a nice reliever from the regular two course for 10 weeks. Now we only have one course for 10 weeks. No, yeah, exactly. Getting right into it, uh, I believe that uh, the Sabres fans and their whole team is basically pissed at the New York Jer- New York Jersey, New Jersey Devils, uh, beca- because the Devils apparently lied to the NHL about their COVID testing results. I'm not too sure about that there, but they don't like how, uh, you know, the Devils basically got away with it over the past weekend there, both on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, because as we saw, we mentioned that the Devils had 17 players on their COVID list. The Sabres announced today that Rasmus Dahlin has become the ninth Buffalo Sabre to join that list. And it's just crazy, this fallout from, uh, the, you know, this past weekend. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it shows really how complicated running a sports league is during this time. Like, you know, it's not just keeping keeping track of one team. It's keeping track of all 31 and how, how they how they interact with each other. Uh, similar situation in the NFL, I remember early in the season, you know, Buffalo fans, Sabres, you know, Bills this time, they were mad at Tennessee because the Titans, you know, they they were a little bit disruptive in terms of their protocol and breaking and such, and fans thought that they should be penalized. Going more in depth into this, Ralph Kruger even tested positive, and he is 61 years old, and this isn't good news for him personally or for the Sabres, and, you know, I'm just hoping he has a speedy recovery and this doesn't hospitalize him. Yeah, of course, you know, you're wishing the best health-wise for him, but, you know, even you look at how it's going to shape their team, uh, you know, their head coach, they're sort of starting to build their sort of identity with this team this season, and, you know, good coaching and having a good head coach is a big part of that, so, you know, if he's sidelined and they have to play without him, it could definitely impact the way that they, the way that they play. I think it also could impact the development of some players, of some of their younger players, such as Dylan Cousins, who is unfortunately on the COVID list. But, you know, getting used to he was getting used to Ralph Kruger's uh, tactics and, uh, you know, playing style, playing underneath him. And now uh, the Sabres might have to use an interim head coach, which could, which could shake up the whole locker room. Yeah, no, like you bring up the example with Dylan Cousins, like, you look at Eric Stahl, it's probably not going to impact him too much, whoever's coaching the game. He's more of a veteran guy, but, you know, Cozen's coming in. All, all he knows is Ralph Kruger's system. So, uh, you know, definitely it's a shakeup and could, could be uh, hurting the Buffalo Sabres. Who do you think would be at fault for this? Do you think it would be the NHL for allowing the games to be played both on Saturday and Sunday? Or do you think it would be partially the New Jersey Devils for not giving uh, enough information? I think obviously the finger is the point at the New Jersey Devils just in terms of, you know, the ripple effect that they've had on the league. Um, but, you know, overall, you can you can you can point at the NHL and say that they're not handling this as well as, you know, they could be. Obviously, you know, they're they're setting up these protocols and hoping that the teams are, you know, following them. And I thought maybe they set the record straight, giving, you know, the, the Washington four earlier in the season, you know, four game suspension. They sort of, you know, 
gave the NHL, you know, a wake up call. This is what's going to happen. However, recently, you know, now that, you know, not it's not just four players, it's whole teams. The NHL is starting to, you know, lose hold of uh, their organization. Another question that needs to be answered, and this is for Ottawa Senators fans, is Matt Murray the answer in goal? He currently has nine games played. He has a 2-5-1 record with a 4-10 goals against average and an 8-75 save percentage. And, you know, I he hasn't been playing his back-to-back Pittsburgh Penguins seasons as of late. And uh, I think they, you know, have to move on from him. They, they're starting to get questions in goal, and it's crazy just how that season's unfolding. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate for Matt Murray. You know, he, he was so used to playing behind these incredible Penguins teams, you know, in the playoffs. You know, you could say that he, he was carried to the finals, to the cup, where he was a part of, you know, the carrying. And I think, you know, you look at him, he has that playoff experience. He has proven to be good in the playoffs. So the Senators, you know, were excited bringing him in. However, you know, even though the Penguins didn't have the greatest of blue lines, this Ottawa blue line is uh, not not really doing much fa- many favors for Matt Murray, and he's getting hung out to dry on most of these games. And it's not like they have, you know, a real solid backup that they can throw in. You know, Matt Murray's getting beaten on all these goals and he has to stay in the game just because it's giving them the best chance. So it is, it is unfortunate for the senators. I'd say. That contract he signed in the off season is 6.25 for the next four seasons. And currently it's not off to a good start. Yeah. I didn't like that contract when it was signed. I just thought it was maybe a little bit too much for Matt Murray. Uh, you know, there's probably better options you can get in the league at, uh, you know, maybe a cheaper value. However, I do think, you know, having two Stanley Cup rings uh, and being a big part of those Penguins teams, you know, was a big attraction for the Senators when they did bring him over. And that's what it cost for them to, you know, sign him to a deal. And they got long term. And maybe by the end of the contract, when the Senators team is a little more ready to compete, it could be better for him. But as of now, I do think that is a little bit of an overpayment for Matt Murray. Moving on, we're going to go kind of, you know, talk about the postponements that have been happening around the NHL because I'm, you know, currently we are facing the worst of the worst uh, when talking about how the coronavirus has affected the NHL. Currently, three teams have had to postpone their games, the Minnesota Wild, the Buffalo Sabres, and the New Jersey Devils. And, you know, I, I think that some message has to be sent uh, more than just fining more than just suspending. And, you know, the NHL has tried to, uh, you know, I guess limit the risk for coronavirus because of removing the glad the pane of glass behind the bench and behind the penalty box, which is definitely an odd way of doing it. But if they think that that will uh, increase airflow and transmission, then that's good for them. Uh, but, you know, this, this season's definitely off to a shaky start. And, you know, as we saw with the NFL, they dealt with multiple postponements. So, you know, hopefully we get to the end of this season. Yeah, no, for sure. It, I, I bring it to the example of the MLB more so when right at the start of the season, you know, the Miami Marlins, you know, we were new to, you know, running a sports league during this this time. And when we heard that, you know, the Miami Marlins had what, upwards of 15 people on their team oh, yeah. in protocols. It was scary, you know, for fans wondering. I, I personally thought that the MLB, there was a chance the season wasn't even going to end. Um, you know, short term, it does suck having to reschedule these games. However, I think it's more of an impact long term, you know. All these postponements, it's going to come back to bite you. You know, you're running a tight 56-game schedule, 
And now with these games having to be moved to later dates, it's frustrating for the league and the schedule makers having to make up for all this time. I believe, you know, with the coronavirus, how it's affecting, these are American teams as well that we're mentioning. It hasn't even touched the Canadian division at all. You know, the Canadian division has been playing 100% of their games. And I believe that the Canadian division could finish on time. Yeah, no, we haven't seen any cases of anything uh, so far in the Canadian division. And I'm not sure if that's, you know, there's more discipline within that division or, you know, just because the cases are lower in Canada. However, you know, I, I what the Canadian division has done so far, that's what I expected from most of the league. I, I, I was not expecting the NHL, you know, this sort of league that I'm proud to call myself a fan of. I did not think that they were going to be having this many issues. One theoretical idea that my dad told me is, uh, you know, he said that if these, with the playoffs the way they are, you play your, your first two rounds within your division, then after that, uh, the locations are to be determined whether, you know, it has to be cross-border, but whether it's to be, to be played in Canada or the States is to be determined. But if, let's say they choose USA for this theoretical uh, question or idea here. If the Canadian division finishes their two rounds and the American side is still finishing the regular season, the Canadian team or teams uh, – can travel to the States and finish their quarantine right in time for, you know, to be able to practice again, right? They don't have any waiting around to do and vice versa. Yeah, you know, I think the timing could eventually, you know, prove to be convenient if the uh, Canadian division is two weeks ahead of schedule of the uh, U.S. division. However, I think, you know, what's first and foremost on the mind of, you know, the schedule makers in the NHL is they want everything to go, you know, sort of linear, together all these divisions playing the same amount of games together but right now you know you look in the schedule some teams have played you know almost 15 games some teams haven't even played 10 so it, it is frustrating and you know late in the season hopefully things are maybe a lot more balanced than they are now but right now there's a big difference and imbalance in how many games teams have played one gesture that I saw throughout this week or this past week that I really liked was Paul Maurice coming to the defense of his captain, Blake Wheeler. If you guys didn't catch it, uh, the media was criticizing Blake Wheeler uh, for his play in the D zone and, you know, just how sloppy he it was. But uh, during Paul Maurice's uh, press conference that day, he went on a tirade of, uh, you know, bashing the media for their analytics and uh, of how they broke down uh, Blake Wheeler's defensive play. And, uh, you know, he said that it was a sloppy back check for uh, another teammate. Uh, he mentioned that Wheeler has uh, 11 points in 10 games or he's over point per game uh, to this point. And I thought that was really nice uh, for the coach to have his captains back to say, like, you know, we're a part of this team. We're in this together. You're a part of my family, essentially. Yeah, you know, you always love to see when coaches, you know, stick up for their players. And in this case, you know, is the captain. So obviously, you know, Paul Maurice holds Blake Wheeler to a high standard being the captain of his team. I just think, you know, with Blake Wheeler, a lot of fans might be overreacting, but his play maybe is what we're, we can expect from him. You know, he, he's aging, he's, he's not getting any younger. And, you know, maybe the two-way part of his game is, is not going to be there as much as it used to. You know, he's, he's a lot slower than he used to be. However, you know, he's still a very gifted offensive player. And like Marie said with his point production, he's still doing, you know, Blake Wheeler things. It's just maybe it's less of a complete game. 
Doug Armstrong has been named the GM for Team Canada as they prepare to hopefully have NHL players on their roster for the 2022 Olympics. And uh, I'm hoping that they have uh, NHL players on the roster because uh, as we saw in 2018, Canada's roster was bare bones. The Americans roster was bare bones, you know, and Russia and Germany got help from the European leagues. And, and, you know, the first point I'm going to bring to the table is, marketing the game. I want to bring this to the table because if you're if you're the NHL and Gary Bemmon and you're trying to increase the game as much as possible, you absolutely have to get NHL players into the Olympics. It's it's paramount that they play because not only does it get uh more people um exposed to the game, but especially in a location like Beijing where hockey is certainly not a number one sport like it is here in Canada, Canada and you know the states as well with competition with basketball and baseball but nonetheless uh you, you know they would get exposed to big stars like Crosby uh Ovechkin Bergeron uh Patrick Kane Jack Eichel you know it, and I just that's why uh, I believe um NHL players should be on the Olympic on in the Olympics yeah, I think, you know, there, there's multiple layers to why it's a good thing having NHL players in the Olympics. You know, your point, it's extremely important in terms of marketing. You know, you want your best players. You want the best players on the planet being in the Olympics. It's it's a worldwide thing. Everyone's watching. So to have, you know, Connor McDavid out there, he, he's yet to play for Team Canada in his career. Um, so, or in, in, a, in an Olympic level. Uh, but, you know, having these guys, it can expand the game. And especially in a location like Beijing, you know, it's not as big of a market, you know, if the Olympics were in North America, you know, fans are going to tune in regardless. However, you know, in, in, in another place, you know, they want very entertaining games. And like you said about the rosters, you know, earlier or in 2018, they were very bare bones for the teams that typically re rely on their NHL players. And, you know, just in terms of the playing field, it wasn't very level. And, you know, Russia having the KHL and having, you know, some NHL caliber players on their team, you know, it was it was a big advantage and they were able to win that. So I think another thing is just, you know, in terms of Olympic integrity, you know, you want to see every team being able to have the best chance and have their best players play for them and not, you know, the second second tier sort of players. I really think that we could see a mix of this is throwing it back to the World Cup of Hockey, but a mix of Team Canada and Team North America here. Because I think Doug Armstrong said that he wants to be as balanced as possible. He doesn't want to have too many uh, veteran players or too many young guns. Uh, I think it would be a nice mix. I think it will be a nice mix. And especially in this NHL, I, I don't remember a time where the NHL was this young in terms of their star talent. You look at McDavid, McKinnon, uh, like Matthews. These are guys who are at the top of the league and, you know, at such a young age. And they haven't been able to play on this worldwide stage yet. And I think it's big for the game, uh, definitely. And, what, and in, Oh, sorry. Well, no, in, in terms of, you know, I feel like, you know, the veterans always kind of get the benefit of the doubt when picking Olympic rosters, more so over the young players. But I do think, you know, if you have, you know, those, those stable guys that you can rely on and then you sprinkle in some McDavid and McKinnons, it's going to be very interesting Team Canada watch. One line combination that I think would be really good for the bottom six of Team Canada is the Bergeron, O'Reilly, and Stone possibility of a line combination. That would be just a complete shutdown line. Uh, a line you throw out, you know, in the final two minutes of the game, gold medal game, semifinal, whatever. Uh, you know, that would, that would be a filthy line, in my opinion. 
Yeah, no, exactly. If if you're rolling out McKinnon playing, you know, potentially with McDavid, you're going to have these lines that are designed just to go out there and create offensive chances. And you're going to want to have a line like the one you mentioned and put them against, you know, the top line of the other team. If you were Team America and you have Matthews and Eichel on the same line going up against, you know, O'Reilly, Bergeron and Stone, it's going to make their jobs a lot harder. And I think strategically, maybe having all these players on the same line could benefit Team Canada. Now, in other news, uh, you know, the NWHL had to postpone the rest of their season due to the COVID-19 virus. There were multiple outbreaks uh, among their teams there in that small tournament that took place in Lake Placid. And actually, uh, to be honest, it did really well. The games were broadcasted on Twitch and, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but one game, uh, I think, I, you know, I don't know, uh, but it may have been between the Toronto Six or, uh, you know, a team had 1.29 million viewers on Twitch, which is just amazing for the women's game. And I hope it, I hope there is some sort of established league. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, it, it, had there been no virus, the NWHO would have done a, a successful job to host a women's league, an established women's league. Um However, uh, the Rangers, and I just heard this past Saturday, uh, the Leafs have both agreed to uh, host a women's game, um, you know, in some time. I know the Rangers game is being hosted on February 28th, um, and that will be a showcase between Minnesota and New Hampshire. And, I, and I'm all for growing the women's game. Uh, like I mentioned with the Olympics point right there, I want the game to grow. I want to get more people in it. I, and I think this is an amazing step to uh, do that. Yeah, you know, in terms of women's hockey, you know, starting a league in general is difficult as is, you know, and especially during a pandemic. But, you know, just through the support of the, ho through support of the hockey community, I think we have one of the greatest community in sports in terms of just, you know, helping out whoever's there. And, you know, like you said, upwards of one million viewers on Twitch on the one game. I think that's an incredible feat and, you know, something to certainly build off of. Unfortunately, they did have to cancel their season. But I do think, you know, seeing the support, like you said, from the Rangers, from these NHL, these big clubs, you know, being able to, you know, step aside and say, well, you can play at our rink. Uh, I, I think just in terms of growing the game, it's, it's important and a step in the right direction for sure. One player that we should highlight that has been phenomenal this week for your Montreal Canadiens uh, is Tyler Toffoli. He has been absolutely torching the Vancouver Canucks, his former team. Eight of his nine goals on the year have came against Vancouver and he is putting on a clinic whenever Montreal faces Vancouver you can always expect Tyler Toffoli to uh you know come up and uh, play a big game yeah you know Tyler Toffoli spent the most most of his career in LA and you know LA was in the same division as Vancouver so he's used to playing Vancouver a couple times a year and then obviously at the deadline last year he went and was a part of that playoff team so you know he, he knows the ins and outs of this team you know, he's practiced with them, he's played with them, and now on Montreal, he's he's been able to just, like you said, absolutely torch them. And, you know, Tyler Toffoli, you know, Montreal was bringing in all these people and they were signing a lot of guys. You didn't really know, you know, is this money going to come back to bite them? But I do think the Tyler Toffoli investment has definitely paid off so far. The decision, or sorry, the discussion between who's on the hot seat between Travis Green, the head coach, and... Uh, Jim Benning, the general manager, I believe that if the Canucks don't make the playoffs, GM Jim Benning will be fired because 
Uh, you know, he said in his in an interview uh, that he just ran out of time and that he would have to move money if, uh, you know, to sign to re-sign Tyler to Foley. Yeah, you know, I think in terms of who's on the hot seat, I think I would give Travis Green, you know, a little bit of a, you know, longer leash than Jim Benning. You know, he he, he brought them. I, I don't think they beat the St. Louis Blues last year without Travis Green. I think his coaching leadership just, you know, carried that team to another level last season. I think Jim Benning is exactly, you know, the person who is on the hot seat. And I do believe if they make the if they miss the playoffs and not so much miss the playoffs, but if they continue the season that they're having right now, he could be fired even before the season's over. I think, you know, just in terms of someone who likes to look at, you know, the the managing part of the the game a lot more, I think you can just look at Jim Benning as an example of terrible asset management. You know, he had pieces, you know, he, but last offseason was killer because he lost, you know, he lost Jacob Markstrom, he lost a Foley, he lost Chris Tanner. Exactly. He's losing these big pieces, big parts of the team. And a lot of that is because he's signing, you know, these depth guys to contracts that they probably aren't worth, you know, Jay Beagle making, you know, $3 million, Antoine Roussel making a lot of money as well. Erickson. And, you know, the, yeah, the infamous Louis Erickson contract. Uh, I think, you know, in terms of Jim Benning, he's just kind of throwing out the money when he had it. And then, you know, it's coming back to bite him when he does need to resign these guys. Not only is the defensive core bare bones, but uh, it's also forcing a player like Jalen Chatfield, who had, I think, a promising future. He's being rushed into the lineup because, like you mentioned, Jim Benning just, you know, moved out the money as quick as possible and, you know, didn't really invest in his team long term. Yeah, you know, as an Oilers fan, I can I can definitely relate to, you know, rushing development of players. It's just so unfortunate to see, as you mentioned, Chatfield, you know, maybe given a little more time to mature in the minors, you know, he could come in and step up. However, now he's kind of just being thrown into the wolves and playing against the Leafs, especially. That's a very high power offensive team. And, you know, he's struggling and, and that can do wonders, you know, in terms of hurting a player's development. One player that has been developing really well uh, this season in four games, David Pasternak has eight points and he is on fire man i mean what a what a return to the lineup it's like he hasn't even missed a step yeah you know last season david pasternak was you know potential heart candidate i'm i think he was the third candidate between him drysidel um and panarin i'm not sure if it was him or mckinnon uh but you know nonetheless 48 goals he had a phenomenal season and that potentially was playing injured the whole year so you know he took this extended off season he got hip surgery and now he's coming back looking you know, the best that we've seen him in his career. I watched the game against Philadelphia where he had a hat trick, scored a late goal and scored the OT winner as well. You know, he's just he's just such a great player and he he, he can make an impact. You know, his his smarts and his, his shooting, especially surrounded by the players he is on Boston. I do think, you know, David Pasternak is a superstar in this league and that is, you know, solidified if it hadn't been already. One question that I want answered by the Boston Bruins is how they create offense with their bottom six. Uh, you know, we see the perfection line, which is, you know, Marchand, Bergeron, and uh, Pasternak. But right now, outside of that, Richie and Krejci lead the way with nine points. And, you know, after that, it's Craig Smith, and then it just gets thinner and thinner. So, you know, personally, I don't know how they create offense from their bottom six. And, you know, like we've been mentioning for these four past weeks, that's very crucial to win games. 
Yeah, I think Boston's an interesting case. You know, I think they kind of get away with having a lack of depth because not only is their top line so special, but, you know, they do focus on the back end and they do have a very strong defensive game. You know, they're not needing to win these games, you know, 5-4. You know, they, they only need to score two or three goals to give themselves a real chance. So, you know, if, if Marchant, Pasternak, and Bergeron are doing their things, you know, only one guy, one or two guys like Richie or Krejci needs to step up, you know, depth-wise to give them a real shot. So I think, you know, the Bruins are just kind of built well on the back end and that kind of, you know, gives them a little bit of space when they lack depth. You mentioned that, you know, you watched the Boston-Philly game and how Boston came back, I believe. Uh, Well, you know, Boston has completed four consecutive third-period comebacks, and I think you can really call them the comeback kids. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, four straight, and they've they've looked good in the third period of all of them. Uh, Maybe not so much it was their fault that they got down in those games. You know, they were playing Philadelphia and Washington, some solid teams. However, you know, I think that this team is also built to come back. You know, you see when they're down goals, they're not really rolling out the bottom line or anything. You know, Pasternak, Bergeron, Marchant, Krejci, they're going to be seeing a lot of ice time in the third period, especially when they're down a couple goals. One thing the NHL is looking to add, and this goes back to the postponement points, is a buffer period at the end of the season to make up for the postponed games or if there is any canceled games. I, you know, and I think this would be good for the NHL to add because it kind of adds a layer of security or at least a blanket layer, um, you could call it. So, you know, at least there's some, I guess, pressure relieved um, when, you know, talking about uh, the uncertainty of, uh, finishing the 56 game proposed schedule. And, you know, I, that's just why I think they should go ahead and add the buffer period. Yeah. I think the buffer period is definitely something that they should add. And I think it would be really good. You know, the NHL and then the NBA both last season for their playoffs, they kind of set out these real, you know, tight schedules. This is going to happen on this date. The last day of the Stanley cup finals will be this day. The last day of the NBA finals will be that day. And they were able to do that because they were in a bubble, you know. They didn't really have the risk of having COVID come in and complicate things. However, in a season like this when you know, teams are traveling, teams are going home, returning to their families, I think, you know, it can't be as linear, you know, this is going to happen on this day sort of thing. And I think a buffer period just to give them kind of time to catch up would definitely benefit the league. We should definitely talk about Jason Spezza. He accomplished his first hat-trick in five years uh, against the Canucks, first hat-trick since 2016, really turning back the clock. And, you know, there are a lot of jokes made about Mike Babcock and how uh, he would have a problem with that, you know, how he benched uh, Spezza against Ottawa. Yeah, I don't think Spezza scoring a hat-trick would ever happen on a Mike Babcock coach Leafs team, I'll say that. Um, And... I, I just remember I watched that game live and, you know, I was cheering for Spezza, you know, he, he's a player who used to be, you know, a top, you know, the face of the Ottawa franchise, you know, he was the captain before Eric Carlson and after Daniel Alfredson, he went to Dallas and had a couple of successful years, but, you know, he was brought into this Leafs team on a veterans minimum. He's not expected to be a huge part of their offense, but for him to, you know, like you said, turn back the clock and score this hat trick. It was definitely something that all all sports fans, especially hockey fans, you know, could, you know, get, get some joy and excitement out of. I will always hold Jason Spezza, uh, you know, close to my heart because I actually met him. Uh, he was playing for the Stars at the time, and it was in Buffalo. And I, uh, you know, my dad and I were 
uh, checking out the hotel that's right down the street from the, uh, I was about to call it the Harbor Center, but it's um, Key Bank Arena. Uh, and you know, uh, you know, my dad and I were checking out the hotel and we hopped in the same elevator as Jason Spezza. So I had a nice, you know, like 30 second conversation with Jason Spezza. I always hold that uh, moment close to my heart and he'll definitely be, uh, you know, one of my, uh, I guess, favorite players, you know, because of that moment, but not really in a way because, uh, he, he's not a standout player, but, uh, uh, you know, you know what I mean, but you know, I, I might get a jersey of his, but definitely not a Leafs jersey of his. I might get a Stars one or a Sens one. Yeah, I think you know, as sports fans, you and I both can relate to this. Meeting an athlete or professional athletes, like you know, meeting a celebrity to us. Yeah, it is. You, know, you meeting Spezza, you know, he's obviously you know more of a well-established player. But you know, even if you're meeting a third line, fourth line guy, it's still incredible just to you know see them in the flesh when they're on your screen all the time. And, you know, these are just like these decorated athletes that have worked hard to get there. I think it's just a special experience no matter who you're meeting. One, uh, you know, I guess another thing that we should add is I thought that during the series between the Senators and the Montreal Canadiens uh, that Ottawa was showing off their youth and speed during the series. Yeah, I think, you know, one part I looked at, you know, with Montreal at the start of the season was that they had speed. I thought that it was a big part of their game. And, you know, Ottawa trying to match that when they're playing against the Canadians. And I think a lot of that, you know, is to do with their youth. You know, the game is getting faster by the day. And, you know, some players, it's even forced them to retire. You know, that they're not fast enough to keep up. But, you know, with, with Stutzla, he's looked incredible. Um, you know, could Brady Kachuk, maybe not the fastest, but, you know, he'll give you that energy. And then guys like Josh Norris, Drake Batherson, you know, these are young guys with very good legs and, you know, good speed. And I think, you know, once once they start to complete their games a little bit more, this Ottawa team could be scary in the future, for sure. Vancouver hasn't impressed me one bit, and they could be arguably as bad as Ottawa. Now, I know Montreal made Ottawa look like this superstar team and made, uh, you know, Matt Murray look like a Vezina Trophy winner, but I really think that, you know, the basement of the North Division has been confirmed between Vancouver and Ottawa because – you know, Vancouver hasn't impressed me when they play the top two teams like Montreal and Toronto. Yeah, I think with Vancouver, and it's been this way for a couple of years, I think, you know, their blue line is 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 probably their biggest, you know, their biggest hole. And I think it's really being exposed, you know. Last year, they had Jacob Markstrom, you know, maybe a dark horse kind of Vesna sort of guy. He had an incredible year, and he was just facing shots the whole game a lot of high danger scoring chances as well and just doing his best. And now, you know, when you have Holtby, a guy who's very hit or miss in his performances, you know, he obviously had that run in 2018 to bring the Capitals to the Cup, but he's had some shaky periods in his career. And, you know, Thatcher Demko as well, a young goaltender. I think when this Canucks team is is performing the same and they're not getting this elite goaltending that they were getting last year, you know, it's just a recipe for disaster. And and their offense hasn't been there as well, which is surprising to, to many. We finally have a 2021 NHL draft news and, you know, the league is looking at pushing back the draft simply because there isn't enough coverage for teams and scouts to do proper research. And I think this does benefit both the player side and the scout side, because looking from a player's uh, point of view, you obviously want to get noticed. You want your hard work to get noticed. Um, and then looking at it from the scouts point of view, if you're making a pick within, you know, it, it could be any pick, 
because really this 2021 NHL draft is so random because of this whole pandemic. Uh, you know, if you're a scout, you really have no idea who you're taking number one. The rumor is Owen Power, but it really could be anyone. And I think this does benefit both sides because it allows uh, scouts to get a proper, more, uh, I guess, certified look at these prospects. Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of all parties affected by this, I think pushing back the draft will definitely help, you know, everyone involved. You look at players and for them, you know, obviously the more well-established first round guys, you know, they're not too, too worried. However, you know, these these late round guys who were relying on, you know, their their last season before being draft eligible to, you know, kind of prove themselves and prove why they deserve to be picked. You know, they're not being given this opportunity. And for them, I'm sure it's frustrating. I remember back in 2017, you know, he was a first round pick, but Nico Heeshear didn't start on any draft boards at the start of the season. And through his, you know, year in the QMJHL, he, he worked his way up to being that number one pick. And, you know, we're not going to really see that this year. Um, and then as well for the management, like the scout side, um, you know, a, a good draft pick can really help your franchise and take take you out of the ground. And, you know, some of these teams that are at the bottom of the league are going to be needing these actual prospects. And, and, you know, with the scouts, some scouts could even lose their job this year because they just make a bad call on a guy that they don't really have too much intel on. Washington has now three consecutive regulation losses. And, you know, luckily, luckily, the two teams that have that have had ha- that have had their games postponed are the New Jersey and uh, Devils and Buffalo Sabres. They're lucky that, uh, you know, they're not playing or else they would actually probably be in some trouble. Yeah, I think, you know, with Washington, you know, you look at three consecutive losses for any team, you know especially the Capitals, you know, you, you wouldn't really expect three straight losses uh, from like a, like a top tier team. However, you know, whenever I look at a situation like this, it's not so much, you know, the Capitals are, are bad. It's, you know, are, are they really bad? How can they rebound from this? You know, and like I said, you know, they've been playing good teams. They've been playing Philadelphia, Boston. So these three regulation losses, you know, could maybe come back to bite them late in the season. But as of now, I think, you know, also, like you said, with the postponements, they're, they're a little head, ahead in the standings. You know, they have a little bit of a buffer. We got to talk about the whole Columbus offside and the penalty fiasco that happened yesterday afternoon against the Carolina Hurricanes. And, you know, so what happened was uh, Carolina scores, Columbus challenges for offside. The call on the ice stands as confirmed, which was a goal. Uh, and Columbus is charged with a penalty. It doesn't look too bad from that angle. That's part one. Part two is the intermission and where all this derails. Uh, Columbus comes out of the locker room in the third period, down one, I should mention, without the power play. So it, so the play returned to five on five. And, you know, there's just, I guess, so much inconsistency because um, I don't know what angles the ref used but if you look from the Columbus bench angle it was clearly offside Nino Niederreiter was or I don't know if it was Nino Niederreiter or whoever but that Carolina player on at the top of your screen uh, from the Columbus POV was definitely offside and there has to be something done uh, by the NHL because not only does this you know Nick Foligno said this but this looks bad on the NHL and this looks very bad on the linesman and obviously, as a league, you don't want any bad looks. 
Yeah, you know, for someone like you and myself who's played minor hockey our whole life, a call's a call, you know, there's really not much debate. There's no instant replay. But this is the NHL, you know, they have camera angles from all over. They should be able to make the right call, you know, nine times out of ten. Obviously, there's going to be the occasional bad call. That's just sports. But, you know, especially with something like this where there's a clear line and, you know, you can really judge where a player, you know, precisely is. You know, I, I do think it is unfortunate that they got this call wrong. And, you know, maybe maybe you think, you know, in terms of player tracking and stuff like that, they could, you know, implement that more in towards like getting the right call in terms of where players actually are. Because it seems like there's too many unwritten rules that the refs base their calls off of. And it does cause for some controversy for sure. It, it's it's almost like a gray area in a way, mm-hmm. like with the whole offside reviewing, you know, it sucks because I, the offside review was put in because of the whole Matt Duchesne uh, call and how that was onside and, you know, Duchesne scored. Uh, but, you know, like we saw yesterday, Carolina played a really good cycle game uh, before that call got reversed, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I I do think Carolina came to play and, you know, being being late in the second period, obviously in hindsight, you can see how that, that totally did affect the game. However, Carolina did come to play and it's unfortunate for Columbus. And, you know, since they were the ones who ended up losing, they're just going to keep pointing at that incident. Now it's time for us to uh, present the weekly paycast power rankings for the North Division by uh, Zach Hogan. So uh, once again, he has the Montreal Canadiens at number one, Maple Leafs at two, the Jets at three, Flames at four, Oilers at five, Canucks at six, and Senators at seven. Personally, I believe the Canadians should drop down to two, maybe even three, because they did not impress me one, uh, you know, at all this past week. Uh, you know, they were playing an Ottawa team that was very desperate for a win, uh, you know, very young, you know, using their speed to their advantage. And to be honest, Montreal got dominated. They only won, uh, you know, the one game on Saturday by one goal. Like these games weren't blowouts. And they also lost in regulation. So I believe Montreal should be either two or three. Uh, Toronto should definitely be one. Uh, And Senators should be bumped up to six, maybe, and Canucks down at seven, because the Canucks are on a four-game losing streak right now. So, uh, you know, the rest of his power rankings are fine. Yeah, no, it's interesting that we're four weeks in, and it's still sort of these three sort of tiers between Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, and then the bottom tier being Vancouver, Ottawa. Uh, I don't really disagree with his rankings too much. Like you said, you know, you have a little more insight than I do on this Canadiens team. Uh, I think just Hogan as a Leafs fan, you know, doesn't want to doesn't want bite, to bite, bite off too much saying that they're the number one team and then, you know, they lose to Montreal this week or whatnot. So maybe it's a bit of, you know, him being afraid to put the Leafs in that number one spot. Uh, but I do think it is between them and the Canadiens. Uh, but, you know, again, you're saying maybe put Vancouver at seven. And I think, you know, there's an argument for that. And the Leafs, you know, sure, they were playing well, but they were playing against Vancouver. So how much is that really to, you know, describe how they've been playing? As for the Oilers, you know, we had an unfortunate Battle of Alberta loss on Saturday. Um, <clears throat> could have been closer than it was. But, you know, I, I think that us being in the fifth spot, we need to start showing consistency against better teams. You know, we, we do well against Ottawa. Uh, we've done fairly well against the Leafs, but I think, you know, we just need to be doing doing better against, you know, the rest of the North Division before we move up into that top four. It's time for Tuesday's picks. 
Uh, so on Tuesday we have uh, you know a, a good a good number of games in my opinion. Currently there are only two postponed games, but uh, I remember the last time uh, that I said there was a good amount of games, and currently and you know as we saw last week there were a bunch of postponements. So hopefully I don't jinx anything, but you know Flyers and Capitals. I got to go with the Capitals. Uh, you know, I think they'll break that three-game uh, losing streak. Red Wings and Panthers. I'm going with the Panthers. Oilers and Senators. I'm going to go with the Oilers. Lightning and Predators. I'm going to go with the Predators. Blackhawks and Stars. I'm going to go with the Blackhawks. Ducks and Golden Knights. Got to go with the Golden Knights. Sharks and Kings. I'm going to go with LA Kings. And Jets, Jets and Flames. I'm going to go with the Calgary Flames. I'll, I'll bring my record from last week. I went six and two, which is uh, not too bad. My my best week so far. You know we have eight games again, so I'm hoping to do better than six and two. Um, I'll, I'll go with you on the Capitals. I do think you know they lost seven four, and those games are kind of hard to analyze just because there's so much scoring. But I do think with a coach like Laviolette, he's going to tighten up that defensive side a lot more, and I don't think the Flyers will be scoring seven goals. Um, I'll go with the Oilers over the Senators. Just you know. Oilers offense has been rolling. They scored four four goals and still lost to the Flames. So the offense has still been there. Um, I'll go with the Stars over the Blackhawks. Uh, I, I'm not sure who's starting between Ottinger and uh, Hudobin. Hudobin got in a little bit of a trouble. Apparently he broke some rule. Um, he was late to practice. Yeah, something like that. And and Ottinger, you know, we talked about him early in the season as a rookie. He's actually been pretty good for them so far, which is nice to see. Um, I'll go with the Panthers over the Red Wings. Red Wings is just an unfortunate team so far. Uh, I'll go with the Lightning over the Predators. I just think, you know, the Lightning, it's hard to bet against them on any given game. Um, I'll go with the Kings as well over the Sharks. I just think, you know, the Kings, you know, they're very hit or miss. I've watched a couple of their, of their games, and sometimes they've looked completely lost on offense, and sometimes, you know, th things have been rolling and they've been doing well. Uh, I'll take the Golden Knights over the Ducks. Golden Knights have been one of the top teams. I think I think the thing with the Golden Knights is interesting. You know, they're always a good team throughout the season, but they don't get talked about enough until, like, late in the season when they're actually, like, a cup contender. But I think the Golden Knights are still a great, very great, complete team. Um, and then I'll, I'll take the Flames over the Jets as well. Uh, you know, taking my Alberta native, uh, the Flames, it's hard to do over the Jets, but I just do think that they, they're going to start to get on a roll, especially after that Battle of Alberta win. And I got to mention, like, that Battle of Alberta, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing ten that times. 10 times. I ten think times. that we could see some really good fights. Yeah, no, exactly. You look at old school hockey, and I think the current game has lost a bit of that. But being an Oilers fan, you know, that Battle of Alberta, that's that's a game every year I'm going to tune into, you know, give my full attention. And I'm excited to see it 10 times. Obviously, the first one wasn't the result we wanted. But, you know, it still was a very highly entertaining game, 10 goals in total. And, you know, a couple a couple of questionable hits back and forth, a little bit of chippiness. I think, you know, that that's just the breaking the ice. And I think the Oilers and Flames are going to have a great series this year. I, I believe that as well. And, you know, we did see, uh, I think, in my opinion, uh, something that the Oilers kind of struggled with was kind of their defensive play and how Calgary kind of exposed that. Yeah, you know, as an Oilers fan, it's unfortunate we did not, you know, bring our best defensive game to the table. Uh, and, and, you know, early in the season, it's not it's not, it's not, not the worst thing, but it is something that we have to work on. You know, it's just something that hasn't been there this season. A big part of that, you know, Koskinen's been playing just pretty much every single game except for one, and now we have Mike Smith back. You know, I'm not saying Smith is, you know, anything. It would be a huge break for Koskinen. 
Exactly. Rather than Koskinen starting every single game, we could see more of a 60-40 kind of split. And I think that's just going to benefit the Oilers and, you know, the the fatigue that, that their goalies have. Well, I should mention my record. I went five and three last week. So I've been basically sub or uh, above 500 uh, ever since week one. So uh, I'll take that uh, very much. Yeah, you know, every every night there's a there's a couple of games like Flyers Capitals that could go either way. But oh yeah, you, know, you look at the Red Wings game, and I feel like that's an easy pick for the both of us. You know, you're just gonna pick against the Red Wings anytime they're playing. It's just been unfortunate for Detroit this season. Well, I'd like to thank uh, Nolan Thode for again another awesome episode of Down to the Wire. Well, thank you for having me.